live? Are we on? I think we've got a feed here. Let's uh, go over here and we'll go ahead and start recording that. And let's go here and we'll start recording that. Fritz Bergeron. Happy Sunday morning, bloodandfaith.com. We are live at Podbean, fritzreport.podbean.com. And uh, this will be recorded and put up later. Hey, good morning, everybody. Sunday morning. Talk about judges. You know, the more the read, you read the Bible, the, the, the more fascinating it is, at least to me. I am in love with the Bible. I am in love with the Holy Scriptures. I can't get enough of it. Every time I read it, it's just something else explodes. And, and, and it tickles my brain. And I say, oh my goodness, is that really in here? And uh, it, it makes me thrilled. It makes me very happy. And uh, I, I, every day, every day, I think, I tell myself, well, I've plumbed the depths of that topic. <laughs> and next thing you know, boom, here's more. I, surely I've plumbed the depths of, I don't know, talking about the the ADL's uh, favorite subject. And next thing you know, boom, there's more. I put up something at uh, bloodandfaith.com the other day. See if I can pull it up for you guys. And we are live. Uh, bloodandfaith.com. And what did I say? I hope you don't mind. We're going to get to judges. But the title of the article at bloodandfaith.com is, is the new name for God's chosen people. And the cursed name. I've seen this before, and I've seen it before, and I'm going, oh my goodness, is that right? And so finally I just said, you know what, let me just pay attention to this and write this down and, 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 and mull it over. Isaiah 62, verse 6, you will be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. He's talking to God's chosen people. It's Isaiah 62, verse 6 says it right again, right away. Isaiah 65, verse 15. It says, You will leave your name as a curse to my chosen ones, and the Lord God will slay you, but my servants will be called by a new name. You guys know what I'm talking about. You're Christians. Acts 11, verse 26. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter 4, 26, if anyone suffers as a Christian, as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but it is to glorify God in his, in this name. Glorify God in this name. What's the name? What's that name? In the name of Christian. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. So God says, hey, I, I'm, my chosen people are going to be called by a new name. The new name is Christian. And as for you, I will leave your name as a curse to my chosen ones. What name is that? Well, Jesus Christ makes it very clear. Revelation 3, verse 9. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. And that has become a curse. It's become a curse for the last 2,000 years to be called a Jew. And Jesus Christ says it right there. Those who call themselves Jews but are not, but lie. Saint Ignatius of Antioch. He was a disciple of John the Apostle. Here's what he said. And I 100% I agree with him. And I've, I've taught this. This is what he said. Christianity did not come from Judaism. And a, yay and amen to that. The patriarchs worshipped Jesus Christ. Christianity, Christianity did not come from Judaism. Judaism is a perversion of Christianity. What's Christianity? It's the belief in Jesus Christ. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Daniel, David, Gideon believed in Jesus Christ, saw Jesus Christ, talked to Jesus Christ. They worship Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the source of all things, the origin of all things, and He's the purpose and destiny of all things. He was in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. That's the God of our ancestors. That's the God of our fathers. That's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And these people that left all that, left the preciousness of Jesus Christ for their man-made traditions. They later wrote them down and, and turned it into a Talmud. This is, a, this is why I warned a church against their, their traditions. 
that upend the written Word of God, the explicit Word of God. All right, but I said we're going to talk about Judges today, didn't I? So Judges is that period of time between the conquest of the Promised Land, and it was not a complete conquest, and the rise of the kings. The rise of King Saul, and then King David, and then King Solomon, and all the various kings. Before those kings arose, and after Joshua died, there was a period of judges. I'm going to sneeze, because there's a lot of pollen in the air, even down here on, 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 uh, on the East Coast. So pardon me, and this is live, so I can't just edit it out of here. So it's a period of time. Uh, Moses, the great leader, was gone. Joshua, the great leader, was, was gone. And you have a, the tribes dispersed to their homelands, and they were, they were supposed to complete the conquest and drive out the Canaanite, the sons of Canaan, the seven nations, the evil nations, the worshipers of Baal, the worshipers of Ashtoreth. They're not supposed to make peace with them. They're supposed to drive them out, subdue the land, and build Christian republics, Christian nations. We won't even call them republics, just Christian nations. Nations that worshiped Jesus Christ. Oh, but Jesus wasn't born back then. No, Jesus was very clear. He says, before Abraham was born, I am. This is basic fundamental Christian doctrine. The doctrine of Jesus Christ. Who's Jesus Christ? He's not some dude that was born and died with some sort of myth that he rose from the dead. No, he's the creator. He was in the garden with Adam and Eve. He's the one that put the enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Okay, And then he fulfills that as the seed of the woman. And he shows up in immediate enmity, hatred unto death between himself and the Pharisees. John refers to them as the Jews. And Jesus Christ clarifies his theological position on the Jews in Revelation 2.9 and Revelation 3.9. Hey, look, they're not Jews. They're not even real Jews. They're liars. They're the synagogue of Satan. So I challenge the Christian to be uh, a theologian than Jesus Christ. It's just like, come on, people. It's Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus Christ said. He says, before Abram was born, I, I am. He's the eternal one. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus Christ very clearly said over and over, he said, no man has seen the Father. Well, then who was Moses talking to? And the Bible says Moses spoke with the Lord as a man speaks with his friend face to face. Who was Moses talking to? Jesus Christ, pre-incarnation. The Alpha and the Omega. By the way, after Jesus rose from the dead, he started speaking pretty much exclusively Greek. He didn't speak Hebrew. Evidence, there's two evidences for that. All of the Holy Scriptures written since the resurrection are in Greek. And you had the Septuagint before then. Everything was transferred into Greek. Why? <laughs> we're going to get into that today. Just We're just going to touch on that today. Golly, I love the Holy Scriptures. I love the Bible. I love Jesus Christ. His story is, is bigger than I can encompass. So they go in there, they're in the Promised Land. They dispersed. And they had their ups and downs. They had some ups, they had some downs. Their biggest mistake was making compromises with the people that they lived with and giving in to uh, the influences of the essentially non-Christians, the people that did, did not serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, Jesus Christ warned them very clearly. He said, you go in there and you make peace with these other nations, and they're going to drag you away. And that's what happened. They started. We saw the story of that in Gideon. Okay, they 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 had you know they still believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they had their Baal, they had their Ashtoreth. It was a multicultural, diverse, inclusive, intolerant society. And as a result, they went astray. Warning for today. Warning for 2023. We do not want a diverse, inclusive, intolerant society. That's a lie. It's always been a lie. It's always been a lie. Are you going to believe? The people that reject Jesus Christ, or are you going to believe Jesus Christ? When he says, look, don't mix with them. Don't make a compromise with them. Don't make an agreement with them. They're not your brothers. They're not your brothers. 
We're not all one in kind. There's the seed of the woman and there's the seed of the serpent. And some people made peace with them out of laziness. Some people made peace out of them just because they had other, other things to do. They did not finish driving out the pagan nations. And they became enslaved. And they'd cry out to God and God would send a judge. And then that judge would rule them and deliver them for decades, usually, many decades. And then the judge would die, and they'd go back into their sin, and they'd go back into their Baal and Ashtoreth worship, and all the other nations would come in and oppress them again. And then they'd cry out to God, and God would send them another judge. And that judge would deliver them for another decade or two, and they would be fine. They drove out the enemy. And then that judge would die, and then, and then the nation would go back, and they would serve the Baals and the Ashtoreths and the Moloch's. All, all the same things, all the demons. Baal is the male component. Asterisk is the female component. Moloch, Baal, Chemosh, Dagon. It's all the same. It's Satan worship. It's the worship of Satan, which we do in the United States today through abortion. It's the live human sacrifice of innocent children to Satan. We do in the United States today, and God help every one of us, because we're going to pay for that. We're paying for it now, and we're going to pay for that dearly. You don't worship Satan and get away with it. God will destroy that nation. And the church needs to rise up. And the church needs to stop compromising with the people that hate Jesus Christ. The church needs to stop saying, oh, I'm, I'm brothers with, with these people that explicitly reject Jesus Christ. 2 John, verse 11, warns against that. He said, if you, if you greet them, if you're, making, if you're breaking bread with them, you're greeting them, you put your hand to their own evil doing. People say, oh, the church needs to repent, and we're going to the Bible. That's the repentance we need. That's the repentance we need. Come out from her midst and be separate, says the Lord. Don't be like them. Don't make peace with them. They're not your brothers. He warns again, Revelation 18, verse 4, come out of that whore. Come out of that whore. Come out of that nasty whore that hates Jesus Christ in whom was all the blood of the prophets and the witnesses of Jesus Christ from the time of the very beginning of the world till now. Oh, church, church, be nice. Oh, there are brothers. We're all the children of Abraham. Jesus Christ addressed that in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, 39 through 59. He says, hey, y'all, this is, this is nonsense. We're all not brothers. He said, I get it. Biologically, some of y'all, y'all, some of you came from uh, Abraham. It could have been from Ishmael, could have been from Eden. The Bible says that God loved Jacob, but he hated Ish he hated Edom. Esau, which is Edom. He says he hated Esau. Hated Esau. King Herod was Esau. King Herod was an Edomite. A couple centuries before the birth of Jesus Christ, the, the, the nation of Edom was converted into the Judean peoples. A mixed people, the Esau, Edom, they all converted to Talmudism, to the traditions of the fathers, not to faith in Jesus Christ. By then they'd gone so far astray. An evil race and evil people. And when Jesus Christ shows up, he's not, he's not like, hey, brethren. <laughs> Day one, act one, scene one, line one. There's a deep-seated enmity between Jesus Christ and the Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees? They were the embodiment of the Talmud. They were, they were the embodiment of the, of the teachings and traditions that we now know of as Judaism. And they refer to it. When you read the Holy Scriptures, you read the Gospels, and you read the Epistles, what it talks about the traditions, even in Acts. Oh, we came to train, tra change the traditions handed down to us from Moses. Yes, that's exactly right. Not the written words from Moses. No, no, not the written words, but the oral traditions that they had passed down, that they replaced the Word of God with. That's exactly what happened. I said, yeah, we got the written Word of Moses, but we're going to go for these oral traditions that, that he passed down through our ancestors, father to son, over, over the last thousand years. And so we're going to interpret what, what is written through these oral traditions. Church has gone the same way. You got the written words of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, hey, hey, everybody, knock, knock. They're not even real Jews. They're, they're false Jews. They're liars. They're of Satan's synagogue. And the church says, oh, yeah, no, no, that's not how we interpret what Jesus Christ said. I'm telling you, the church has gone the same way, gone the same way. That's why Jesus Christ warned the church. He said, don't partake of the leaven of the Pharisees, their doctrines, their teachings. 
He warns them. And that nothing's changed. I'm telling you, you pe people are looking for you know some new sort of new sort of principles of, of, of ruling and having government and doing this and doing that. Nothing's changed since the beginning of creation. Book of Judges is, is why we, we have to go to book of, the Book of Judges to understand it, as well as the Book of Leviticus and Exodus and Genesis and the Gospels. And all, all applies today. It all applies today. And if you're looking for peace within mankind, you're on a fool's errand. Unless you submit to the Antichrist. If you submit to the Antichrist, that's fine. And what happens when you submit to the Antichrist? You take up the Antichrist agenda, and you must wipe out the people of God. Who are the people of God? Those who say what Jesus Christ said. Those who boldly declare that Jesus Christ is actually the God Emperor of Earth, and He's the Creator of the Earth, and there's no salvation except through Him alone. And this is what Jesus Christ said about the people that hated Him. They can't have that. They can't abide by that. And there's a full court press against anybody that will say what Jesus Christ said. I don't mean the stuff about, oh, Jesus made new fish. Jesus healed somebody. Jesus forgave somebody. No, 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 no. Jesus Christ was controversial, and he was offensive. So offensive that his disciples went to him and said, Jesus, you're offending the, the Talmud people. <laughs> they said that. I want to say it's Matthew chapter 7. He said, Jesus, you're offended. Don't you know you're offending him? Jesus said, I don't care. I don't care. They're blind. Blind is a double insult. One, you're, if you're not worthy to stand before God if you're blind. You're not worthy. You cannot bring a blind sacrifice to the altar. It's unclean. It's unworthy. Second of all, you're, you're ignorant. You're ignorant. These people, he said, they don't know what they're doing. They're going to fall into a pit, and anybody that follows them will fall into a pit as well. They're all going to fall into a pit. There's enmity, and I'm telling you, if the seed of the serpent does not hate you, ask yourself why. And there may be good reasons. Maybe you just you don't know what's going on, and you're waking up, you're trying to figure it out. That's fine. I was there too. Man, believe me, I was there. I, I was raised in that, that nonsense that somehow that a people who explicitly rejects Jesus Christ as their fundamental identity are somehow God's chosen people. What demon inspired that to, to run around the church? And just like today, the judges, the, the, the people of Israel under, under, under the judges thousands of years ago said, oh, you know, we can have peace with everybody. And they became enslaved. Like, how, how does this happen? And, and, and Jesus Christ, the Almighty, the Lord God, it's all the same. He said, I told you, if you make peace with them, they're going to rule over you. If you turn away from me, they're going to rule over you. And you're going to take their daughters for your sons and their, your, their sons for your daughters. And you end up serving these other gods. Certainly, the United States founded by Christians, Puritans, and the Pilgrims to have a pure Christian nation that would serve Jesus Christ explicitly. Go read the Mayflower Flower Compact. And then, little by little, you know, everyone says, "Oh, we all we all need to get along. We're all brothers." Now it's to the state, it's to the point where where the original people are explicitly hated as a matter of policy by many people in the United States government, including uh, uh, what's his name that's currently in the White House. I forget his name, Ricardo. Did I say that? I should respect my leader, shouldn't I? It, it, when you come out with your uh, uh, red speech, and you can demonize half of America, there's there's something wrong. And either that half of America will submit to self-hatred and self-loathing, or they'll say, you know what, we're not putting up with this anymore. And that's where I'm at. You're not going to demonize me, nor my brethren, nor my brethren, nor my brethren, the children of Christendom. No, our heritage is Jesus Christ, and we will return to Jesus Christ as a bloodline, as a nation. All the sons of Europe, we will return to Jesus Christ. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, I do know about that. That's my faith. That's what I hope for. That's what I believe. You want to talk about the vision of the valley of the dry bones coming together? That's about the sons and daughters of Christendom. It has nothing to do with these people who call themselves Jews, but aren't, but lie in her of the synagogue of Satan. It has nothing to do with the synagogue of Satan. It's the sons and daughters of Christendom. And we're going to get to that when we hit Dan. All right, so you get the pattern in the book of Daniel. Now, I love these stories, okay? This, this tells you of a people 
a vibrant, active, imperfect people who are trying to figure things out. And they do good sometimes, and they do evil sometimes. And there's civil war sometimes, and there's murder sometimes, there's terrible tragedy sometimes, and there's great faith, even unto not loving their life, even unto death. That's what Jesus Christ said. How, How do you overcome the evil one? Word of your testimony the blood of the Lamb, and not loving your life even unto death. And we saw the story of, of Barak and Deborah. Tribe of Reuben, they're scared. Oh, I don't know about this. We might all die. Tribe would naphtali and answer. They said, I don't care if we die. We're standing too. I don't care about those 900 iron chariots the demon people have. I don't care. I'd rather die than be in submission to them. Oh, that's faith, baby. That's faith. And that's how you overcome the evil one. That's where we need to be today as a church. I don't care. I don't care what they can do to me. I don't care how many iron chariots they have. I don't care if that person in the White House says, how are you going to fight F-16s and, and nuclear bombs? I, you know, I got, I, got, I got one of my digits on my hand that wants to pop up. But I'm holding it back, baby. I'm holding it back. And put it right in his face. Put, get down. Put that little finger down. Stop that. I don't care. As a race, as European man, we will serve Jesus Christ. By God, we're going to serve Jesus Christ. And the more you hate us, the more determined we are to serve Jesus Christ as a race. You little devil people, see to the serpent, it don't matter. All that's doing is, is ticking us off. All that's doing is making us mad. So you know what? By God Almighty, we're going to rise up with our brethren and serve Jesus Christ explicitly and cast you all out. Oh, you sound intolerant and divisive. I can't stand those hypocrites. Organizations like the ADL claiming to fight hate, all they do is spread hate. All they do is spread hate. Hatred towards Jesus Christ, hatred towards the Word of God, hatred towards a white race. That's what they do. White man, you got to wake up and realize that. I don't care if you're from Greece, Portugal, Spain, Iceland, Russia. Hispanics. You know why you're called a Hispanic? España. Spain. It's Europe, man. (laughs) It is said that the Iberian Peninsula came from the name of Eber. Oh, God, the Bible's so rich. It's so rich if we would see it. A great race, a mighty race. If if you've heard me say it once, you've heard me say it six or seven times. It was those people from Iberia that drove out the African and the Mohammedan, the Muslim. You know who helped them? You know who helped the Muslim try to conquer a Christian Europe? It was the synagogue of Satan, a historical fact. Oh, they don't like you to say that, though, because it makes them look bad. Well, they are bad. And I, you know, we can go on and on about the Irish and the English. I've talked to you about how the Celts were the people of, of written that Paul wrote to in the Galatians. They were Celts. It was the northern, northwestern European people, their race. God put a portion of the Celts right down there in Anatolia so that it'd be close to the gospel of Jesus Christ upon the resurrection from the dead. And Paul went there, wrote a whole letter to him. None of this is by accident. None of this is by accident. God could very well have said, you know what, I'm going to take a tribe from Namibia or Rwanda, and I'm going to translate them and put them up there in Anatolia so they get converted and go back. No, God said, no, I'm going to get the Celts. He could have said, you know what, I'm going to get some Chinese and put them right there in, 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 in uh, uh, West, what is now Western Turkey. No, he didn't, but he did. He put the Celts there. Why? I told you why. I told you that the other day why. I'm becoming more convinced about this. One of the things I don't like to do, I, I'm, I'm very reluctant to take somebody else's idea and say, hey, that's a good idea, or I think that's true. I, I'm very reluctant to do that, and, and that's why I, I stick to theology. Do other people have good ideas? They have great ideas, but I need to be convinced in my own, ha- in my own mind. I need to be convinced by the Holy Scriptures for what the Holy Scriptures say. And if I can't, then I'm, I'm very reluctant to go there. I may mention it, and I'll mention it some this morning when we get to the, the tribe of Dan. But until I'm convinced by the Holy Scriptures, I, nah, you know, I'll put it out there with a big fat caveat, with a big asterisk next to it. 
All right, but here's a little hint for you. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may him dwell in the tents of Shem. Japheth, Japheth's descendants went to Europe. God says, may he dwell in the tents of Shem, the covering of Shem. What's the covering of Shem? Is the blood of Jesus Christ a covering? This means a lot to me. It means a lot to me. There's a love in God's heart for His children, for His people. And God saw the end from the beginning, and He declared the beginning from the end. There's something in there. There's something in there. May Japheth dwell in the tents of Shem, the covering of Shem. All right. All right, these men, were, they had the Ten Commandments. They were the, in the judges. They were supposed to live by the Ten Commandments. If not, they were conquered. These people had no standing army. Okay, there was not a united standing army with the, the, these tribes in the Promised Land. Every able-bodied man from 14 to 80 was trained to wield a sword and go to war. Why do I say 80? Because that's what Caleb said. He goes to, he goes to Joshua and says, look, I'm 80 years old. I can still go to battle. I'm as fit now as I was at 40. Are you keeping us that fit? Are you keeping us fit as Caleb was? He's our example. He's one of our fathers. Are you fit to go to battle at 80? Caleb was. He was ready to go to war. All these men were ready to go to war from the time they're uh, maybe 13 to, to 80. I don't know. They had a militia. Oh, for just a militia supporter. Yes, I am. Abram had a militia. He had 318 trained men in his household, and they weren't his sons. None of them were his sons at that point. He was a wealthy man. He formed his own militia. He was his own minor king at that time. Oh, that's Old Testament has passed away. If you listen to bloodandfaith.com, you'll know how false that is. What a lie that is. That's why I'd like to refer to the Scriptures as the Hebrew Scriptures and the Greek Scriptures so people don't think that 80% of the Scriptures went away. <laughs> people come up with the strangest theology and they don't realize that the only Scripture that Jesus Christ ever quoted were the Hebrew Scriptures. He never quoted Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or the book of Acts or the book of Revelation. He wrote the book of Revelation. John quotes him in the book of Revelation. There's time on earth. He quoted the law and the prophets and the Psalms. But Jesus Christ was given his commission before he was crucified. He said, listen, if you don't have a sword, you need to sell something that you own that's valuable to you and buy a sword, people. Buy a sword. Not a pruning knife, not a paring knife, not a pocket knife. You go back and look in the Greek... It's the kind of sword that you skewered another man with. A Roman short sword, perhaps. Buy a weapon that you use to kill other men. You know what a staff was used for? It wasn't just a walking stick. It's also an item of defending yourself. Oh, Fritz is advocating violence. I advocate for the Word of God. I advocate for Jesus Christ. No apologies. One day Jesus Christ will come and He will rule the nations with a rod of iron. That sounds pretty violent to me. Jesus Christ is the captain of all of the Lord's armies, the warring angels. He's the captain of the Lord's host. We saw here in Judges how the Lord Jesus Christ killed more men than, than some of the judges did by hurling stones down on people, hurling uh, hailstones down on people. You want to talk about violence? Let's talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. God himself intervened and destroyed Sodom and Moreh with, with a, a firestorm from heaven. Don't talk to me. Don't, don't lecture me on violence. Federal law enforcement officers show up, say, oh, well, you know, do you advocate, are you for violence? I don't know, man. You got a gun on you? You ever been trained for violence and violence against other men? Don't, don't, don't talk to me about that stuff. Hypocrite. 
If you listen to me, you know I'm a pretty peaceful guy. I'm just an old grandpa. It's kind of a microphone. And that's what ticks them off. I'm a dangerous man because of my ideas. That's why I'm dangerous, for my ideas. Not, no other reason. Okay, it's so no standing army. Okay, but Abram had his militia. Jesus Christ told his disciples, hey, if you don't have a sword, sell, sell something and, and get, get y'all a sword. I mean, how is, how is Jesus Christ supposed to be the pacifist when he's the captain of the Lord's host? When he's going to show up, at the, when he comes a second time, at leading, literally leading the armies with, his, with his, the, the sword coming out of his mouth, destroying his enemies. He's not the great pacifist from the sky. Well, Jesus would never hear me. Uh, hello, you never heard, heard the story of the promised land where he went in and he wiped out? He told his children to wipe out this whole entire race, this whole entire bloodline, wipe them out. You never heard about the uh, 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 the story of of the uh, the great flood, where he wiped out every human earth save Noah and his three sons and their wives. Oh, God's against violence in all its forms. I don't think so. All right. During the time of judges, there was no overwhelming government bureaucracy. That would come under the kings. There's no overwhelming government bureaucracy. You talk about a libertarian society. This was pretty much it. Anarcho-libertarianism, medieval fiefdoms, whatever you want to call it. No overwhelming government bureaucracy. They were economically self-sufficient. They were not traders. They are not bankers and traders. They worked the land, the fish, the forest, the fields, the flocks and the herds. They built things. They grew things. They tended things. A very practical people. They were self-sufficient. They weren't manipulating and trading and banking and usury. They weren't doing that stuff, which is against the law of Jesus Christ. All this stuff that we call the government today, it's not a requirement. We don't need that stuff. Oh, yes, but who will, who will uh, take care of me? You and kin. This was a society, or many societies, depending on how you want to look at it, because there was the nation of Israel, and there were tribes. Thirteen tribes, if you want to include the two half-tribes. Ephraim and Manasseh, each a half a tribe. That's where you get the twelve, but, you know, add them up, it comes up to thirteen. And we're going to get to Dan, don't worry, we'll get to Dan. All the stuff we call government today, it's never been a requirement for a truly free society. It's not a requirement for a free society. And when the, and Israel asked for a king, God said, okay, I'll give you a king, but I'm just telling you, you're going to pay for it. You, you're going to financially pay for it, and you're going to pay for it with your sons and your daughters. Okay, I've, I've tried to be your king directly. You, you, know, you want a different king over you? Fine, but it's going to cost you, and you will lose some of your freedom. Now, a word about the Amish. Perhaps the Mennonites. I, I have ancestors that I think were Mennonite from Pennsylvania back a couple of hundred years ago. But I don't know much about them. But here is a people. Call it a tribe if you want. Call them a tribe. Call the Amish a tribe. They stay together. They intermarry. I don't mean their brothers are marrying their sisters. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's not like they go out and they try to become part of these outside groups. They're clannish, which is wonderful. That's a good thing. They're self-sufficient economically. They're self-sufficient agriculturally. They're self-sufficient in food, in construction, in housing. And I'm absolutely convinced that God has allowed them to, 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 to stay in this land as a witness and a testimony against the urbanization of this country. As a witness and a testimony of the way we've gone wayward in the United States of America. And also perhaps as a resource... If we lose all this stuff, I mean, you've read all the, the books I've read. You've read One Minute After or One Second After. You've read, you, you know what it's going to be like if there's a nuclear war. I mean, you've, you've probably read all that stuff. And if you haven't, I suggest you remember what you learned in history books from the history of Europe. The Black Death. The, 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 the fall of Rome. Anybody that for a second thinks that American civilization is going to continue to grow and flourish as it has for the last since World War II. 
That is a non-historical way of looking at things. That is ahistorical. It, forget conspiracy theory. Forget, uh, you know, end of times, doom and gloom stuff. It's, it's just, it's ahistorical. It's, it's not historical to think that it's going to just be fine and things are going to go on and it, as they have before. Rome fell. Europe lost a third of its population in the Black Death. Uh, read European history. Uh, somebody nuked Japan, seemed to me, in 1945. The firebombing that rained down on, on Germany was just as devastating and, and more so. And they, they climbed back. Bad things happen, and history moves on. The officers are still here as a witness and a testimony against us, as well as a resource to help us get through the next stage. I'm just throwing it out there. Not in the Bible, but these people have, have got something going on. They stick together. They're, they're, they have a common identity, faith, language. Some of them still speak German. Maybe that's the Mennonites. And they come together under a single leader during times of great crisis. This is, th these are nations, tribes, bound together by land, kin, blood, mutual aid, common history, common faith. Satan and his seed have done everything they can to strip that out of the heart of European man. They've told the Europeans, this land's not yours. We're going to fill it with people that are utterly alien to you. This land doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the people that are as diametrically opposed to you as, as that you can be and still be a human being. That has to be rejected. Well, then I'll be called racist. I, yeah, you've got to get over that. You're the one that binds yourself into slavery. You bind yourself in slavery by accepting these terms. Oh, I don't want to be racist, sexist, or homophobic. You have the power to throw those chains off right now. Those aren't Bible words. People can't even de de define them. I covered that a couple days ago, a podcast or two ago. You know why there's no law against uh, being racist in the United States? Because it can't be defined. <laughs> you don't think they would have made that a law by now if they could? You, you can't, there is no legal defamation for racism or, or, or even race. And that's why they love the term. You, you can't refute the accusation because you can't even define it. It's very powerful. Nobody said the devil's stupid or his children. So the world comes in and tries to take man and bleach him of all the things that protect him and make him whole and make him truly human. Of his family, his bloodline, his history. What do you think is going on when they turn on these, these statues? Demoralize the people, demonize the people. Now it's to the point where you're stripping men not only of their gender, but of their actual sex, their biological sex, cutting up children cutting body parts off of children. This is an antichrist, anti-human agenda, and the church has a responsibility to call it out and resist it. Put up an article the other day about noticing. Noticing what? Noticing who the Bible notices. Noticing who the enemies of Jesus Christ are. Noticing who the enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ are. Evangelicals come along, oh, the Bible has the answers to everything. Well, here's the answer. The evangelicals are like, well, we don't, we don't like that answer. <laughs> Somebody might call us anti-Semitic. <laughs> it's wake-up time, people. It's wake-up time. Let's get with the program. Either get with the program or get out. And a lot of Christians are getting out. They're becoming Judeo-Christians. And they're renouncing the words of Jesus Christ explicitly. That's fine. That's fine. God didn't need 32,000 people to save Israel in the time of Gideon. He needed 300. All the people who can't do it, bye. Bye. See ya. Adios. I'll take the 300. You've heard about the whole anti-depopulation movement, right? Apparently the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation used to be called the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for Depopulation. For Depopulation. You've heard uh, the second in command for the World Economic Foundation. A, a Jewish man by the name of Noah Harari 
saying, hey, most people are just, we got too many people, he says. Bloodandfate.com, I got an article on that. It's the article that talks about noticing. We got too many people. At the end of the day, you and I were created in the image of God. And at the end of the day, the, the plan for Satan and the synagogue of Satan is to destroy the image of God. This should be as plain as Genesis chapter 1. Because God, because Satan can't get Jesus Christ, he goes after his image. Not just the church, but all of mankind is the image of God. That was a long introduction. I don't even know what time it is here. Oh, we're having fun now, aren't we? Let's see if I'm still recording. Oh yeah, I'm still recording. All right. So I got some good news and some bad news. So there was this one young man, his name was Jephthah, right? And he had brothers. He was the son of his father, but the mother was a was not the wife. And so when they grew up, the son said, hey, you're out of here. You're not going to inherit anything with us. They drove him away. But he was a valiant man. He was a mighty warrior. And they, were, had, they had times of oppression. And uh, they said, hey, you need to come back and rule over us because <laughs> we need your help. And you're a fighter. And you're a warrior. And you're valiant. And we know you can lead us through this and give us deliverance. He's like, you guys rejected me. Why should I do that? They said, no, but we, please. And so they're going to go to war. They're going to go to war with the Ammonites. And the Ammonites say, hey, you took our territory. And Jephthah says, no, actually, we didn't take your territory. Here's the history of this land. Here's the history of what this happened. Now, this is important. History is important. And how the land became uh, belonged to the children of Israel matters. Now, were people living there before the children of Israel moved in? Yes. That doesn't impress the Almighty. That doesn't impress God. God is not that God didn't say, oh, my God, you're the first nations. No, we need to leave. We need to give you everything you ask. He said, no, drive them out. I'm, I'm putting my people there. I'm going to put my race there. I'm going to put my covenanted people there. They're going to build Christian nations there. So Ammonites come on and say, you stole our land. We want it back, and we're going to go with where Jephthah gives them the history. So here's the, here's the history. Here's the facts. They say, well, that's not good enough. So they go to war. Now the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah so that he passed through Gilead and Manasseh. And when he passed through Mizpah of Gilead, from Mizpah to Gilead, he went, he went on to the sons of Ammon. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed give me the sons of Ammon into my hand, it shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the sons of Ammon. It will be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. I think there was a little bit of cultural influence from the pagan nations around where he said, you know what, I know this works. I've seen it work before. People offer their children up to the, the, the pagan gods, and, and they win great victories, or they get what they want. So he said, well, I'll just do the same thing, except I'll do it to... So Jephthah crossed over against the sons of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand, and he struck them with a very great slaughter. So the sons of Ammon were subdued before the sons of Israel. Don't talk to me about nonviolence. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac. This is my God. This is Jesus Christ. So the sons of Ammon were subdued before the sons of Israel. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, behold, his daughter was coming out to meet him with the tambourines and with dancing. Now she was his one and only child. Besides her, he had no son or daughter. Now I have a daughter, and I love her dearly, as every any father does. And here her daughter comes out full of joy to see her dad, to see her daddy. And she's dancing. 
and has tambourines. And when the father saw her, he tore his clothes, and he says, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. And you are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. So she said to him, Father, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me as you have said, since the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, the sons of Ammon. And she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months, that I may go into the mountains and weep because of my virginity, I and my companions. And he said, Go. And so he sent her for two months, and she left her companions and wept on the mountains because of her virginity. At the end of two months, she returned to her father, who did to her according to the vow which he had made. And she had no relations with a man, and this became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in the year. Now, as you guys know, I'm, I'm a bit of a crier. I, don't, I can't help that. But this is, this is an amazing story. It's a, it's a tragic story. It's a heartbreaking story. My heart weeps for the daughter. My heart weeps for the father. And I have no good moral story for it. And maybe that's the moral of the story. Maybe that's the moral of the story. There is no good moral story behind this. If only Gilead had done this. If only the daughter had done that. If only... It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a story, of, for me, it's a story of utter heartbreak. Utter heartbreak with no good end and no good outcome. He lost his only daughter, and his daughter adored him, adored him. She came out dancing full of joy with a tambourine, celebrating her daddy's. Victory. And she says, Dad, it's okay. You got to do... got to do what you got to do. So she went off <clears throat> with her friends, her companions for two months. Never got married, never knew a man. And she lost her life. And there's no moral to this story. There's no good outcome to this story. It's one of heartbreak and loss. And I have no bow to tie this off with and say, here's what should have happened or here's what no, it's just a story of heartbreak. And life is that way sometimes. And there is no answer. There is no right answer. There is no good answer to this. By faith, all I can do is say, whatever was done wrong will be accounted for and addressed by Jesus Christ on the judgment day. How does this work out for Jephthah and his daughter? I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand. But this happens in life, too. You and I know of people where things happen and there is no good explanation or good moral to the story. There's nothing. It's just the horror of life. I know. It's depressing. I'm depressed, too. So Jephthah and his successors, Daniel, uh, the book of Judges talks about Jephthah and his successors. Philistines oppress again. Then you got Samson comes along. I don't know that I'm going to go into Samson. I, You know, one of the beauties of growing up in a church and going to Sunday school is you learn the story of, of Samson. Everybody knows the story of Samson. <laughs> Mighty Samson. But I'll touch on it for those that don't know. Samson was a judge. By the way, he was a Nazarite. He was a Nazarite like Jesus Christ. Like Jesus Christ, he died. But he did some things that are a bit unconventional. He wanted to marry a daughter of the pagan nations. I said, well, that wasn't right. No, it wasn't right. But you know what? Sometimes God has a way of taking things and turning them around. 
And he used that to judge the Philistines, to judge the pagan nations. And they treated him wrong. And he says, you know what, I'm going to get you suckers. And he burnt their crops, he burnt their fields, he killed their men. He had great strength, he had overwhelming strength. You can't account for his strength. You can't say, well, he was strong because he ate a lot of protein and he went to the weight room every day. No. <laughs> no. It was God's anointing upon him. God's grace, God's power upon him. And later on in his life, he went ahead and he told his woman, one of his women, this is how, this is how you get me, cut my hair off. And he cut their hair off and they captured him and they poked his eyes out and they, they, they made him, ridiculed him and mocked him. Made him a slave. Made him pull the grinding wheel with his eyes bashed out, poked out with sticks. So he's in there for however long he's in there. I don't know how long it takes the hair to grow out. Let's say a couple of years, a few years. They have a big party. And uh, they bring him out to mock him and to toy with him and to make fun of him. And he says to the child to let him out, let me feel the pillars of this temple. I'm sure it was a big fat frat party in there, drinking and carrying on and whatnot. And he said, Lord, let me avenge myself upon this pagan people. And he grabbed a hold of those pillars and he pushed the pillars out underneath that was supporting that stone structure. It had all collapsed. And more people died in the death of Samson than he killed all his life. So don't come and lecture me about violence. This was a man of God. A man who didn't have everything perfect. A man whom God used in spite of his own issues. And there was more men that died in his death than died. Like, oh, that's just you know a spiritual analogy. No, it was not a spiritual analogy. He really did get his eyes poked out. Jesus Christ really did get crucified on that cross. Don't tell me this st stuff is a spiritual analogy. It's not. This is what happened. Jesus Christ really did die, and he really did rise from the dead. You spiritualize everything, and then you might as well spiritualize the resurrection. That's what happens. It's called the traditions of men, the precepts of the elders. You overwrite what the Holy Scriptures say in order to make yourself a new religion. Oh, this is just a it's, a, it's an analogy. It's a spiritual analogy. And, you know, you can't take that, uh, you know. Oh, okay, fine. And you feel that way about Jesus Christ, too. You don't think he actually got crucified? You don't think he actually rose from the dead? And there you go. You're off to the races. You're going down the same track as the Talmud people go down. Samson's a great story. All right, we're going to close out with Daniel. So there's this guy named Micah. And uh, he went to his mom. He said, Mom, I stole your money. Pieces of silver. I don't know how much that was, but it sounds like a lot of money to me. He says, I stole your money. Mom says, oh, well, bless you, son. I'm glad you owned up to it. Uh, he says, here's the money back. And she said, okay, well, out of the 1100 I'm going to give you 200 Go ahead and make yourself a, a graven image. So he, makes a, he takes the silver, he makes a graven image, and uh, an old image, and, and he sets it up in his house. And so he had a little shrine there. You know, again, there's no king over Israel. There's no, they, they're just trying to figure this stuff out on their, on their own. And there was a young man from Bethlehem of Judah, of the family of Judah. He was a Levite, and he was staying there. Here's another young man. He's trying to make his way in life. He comes out of Bethlehem. He's a Levite. He's trained in the priestly ways. He's a young man, so he probably was a he called it an altar boy, okay? So the altar boy comes along, trying to make his way in life. Maybe he's a teenager. Maybe he's 16. So I don't know. And, and, and Micah, he says, hey, uh, I, you're a Levite. Uh, why don't you come and be my priest? So he says, okay, I'll, I'll be your priest. So Micah is super happy because he's going to get God's blessing on his life. He's got his own little shrine. He's got his little idol. Uh, you got a Levite to... Um, uh, officiate, who's who knows the uh, the priestly ways. I mean, if you don't know, you don't know. And maybe Micah didn't know, and this is as close as he can get to figuring out what he's trying to do the right way. Was it right? No. He says, "Dwell with me and the and be a father to me and a priest to me. Now I will give you ten pieces of silver a year, a suit of clothes, and your maintenance." So the Levite went in. 
He's trying to make his way in life. He, he wanders off. And he gets a good job. He says, this is a good deal. This will work. My, I'll, I'll be a priest. It is said, and I don't know that this, this is true, that the Druids of the Celts and the British Isles had many ceremonies and ways that copied what the Levites did. I don't know if that's true, but I've heard tell a story to that effect. And here this young man wanders off, he's going to go make his way, and he becomes a Levite. He becomes a priest. Well, lo and behold, in those days there was no king in Israel. And in those days the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for themselves to live in. For until that day an inheritance had not been allotted to them as a possession among the tribes of Israel. So the Danites are on the march. He says, this ain't working for us. We've got to find our own place. But they remember their forefathers. And like their forefathers, remember Moses sent out the 12 spies? Well, they send out five spies. He says, five spies, go out and look for some land for us. So they go out, they look for some land. And on the way, they run into this Levite. And they said, hey, uh, inquire from God, please, to whether or no, that we may know whether our way on which we are going will be prosperous. And the priest says, go in peace. Your way in which you are going, the Lord has approved. I mean, I, I mean, I love this stuff. Okay. Now, was this, what was going on here? The people are on the march. They're on the move. They're hungry. They're seeking. They're searching. They know they haven't found the place, and they're going to go find their own land. They inquire of God as far as they know was possible. He says, go, your way will be, it'll work for you. Okay, so they go back and they say, yeah, we found a place. In fact, we found some, some uh, land. They're actually related to the Sidonians. They're related to the Canaanites. They're related from the people from Sidon who were uh, fishers and, and, and their boat people who sailed across the Mediterranean, went all over the place. He says, here's this town of Laish. It's, they're related to them, but they're far from them, so they can't be protected. Let's go down there and kill them and take their land. I mean, why not? They're Canaanites. So they march up, and they stop by Micah's house, and they said, hey, do <laughs> you want to be the priest for one man, one household, or for a whole tribe of Israel? And this young guy, he says, well, I'm moving up in the world. I'm with you. I'm, with, I'm going to throw my lot in with you. So now the Danites have a priest. And so they go off with him, and they conquer these people, and they, they settle there. Now, that's as far as I know, and that's as far as much as I can give you biblically. In exploring people who knew that, that God had more for them, and they were ready to travel and conquer and find new lands, and they brought a priest with them. Now, I saw a video the other day, and I'm not endorsing it at all. But one of the portions in the video was that there's this country in Northern Europe called Denmark. And they trace the history of these peoples of Northern Europe, and, and they have an argument, I'm not even remotely endorsing it, but they have an argument that some of these ten tribes ended up in Northern Europe. Maybe mixed with the other peoples there. I don't know. But it's pretty doggone fascinating to me, especially when you tie it back to um, Genesis, where Noah, Genesis chapter 9, Noah says, hey, look, the, the sons of Japheth, they're going to live in the tents of Shem. I mean, I, I, I'm just beginning to plumb this. It, it's it's fun. I, I've said many times, it's very clear from the Holy Scriptures that the Europeans are targeted for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible was written in Greek and not in Hindi, not in Chinese. That's why Paul was sent to Europe. That's why the seven letters were sent to seven European churches in the book of Revelation. We know the ten tribes went somewhere. I have no idea where they went. The Jews thought they went to Europe. You read that in the Gospels. Jesus says, hey, where I'm going, you cannot come. They said, well, where are you going? Are you going off to the Greeks? 
to the dispersion among the Greeks to teach the Greeks? Well, they prophesied. Actually, that's exactly what happened. It's where the gospel goes. It goes to the Greeks. It goes to the Europeans. It goes around the world. It goes to the whole world. It goes to the whole world. No question about that. There's only one part of the world that becomes Christendom. All right. I can read this forever and I'll still find more stuff. It's been over an hour. Preacher needs to shut up. Been going a long time. Y'all are hungry. Need to get down to the restaurant to have some lunch. I'll be posting this up there. Fritzbergen, bloodandfaith.com. And uh, we'll see you soon.